But one of the things I've found is all that practice you get from the speaking really helps with your speaking. Yes. And overcome the fear of speaking. And one of the things that one of the companies I worked at within 90 days, I was able to get them more Twitter followers, more LinkedIn followers, more visits to the booths at conferences and stuff. Many companies didn't necessarily appreciate their employees having a big profile online. Social media marketing is some of the cheapest marketing because if you got people with a decent following, you're not having to pay anything. You're just creating the content posting out there. You're not paying some ad agency, you know, $50,000, $100,000 for, for one ad or something. Who says tech can't be human? What's going on, Hacker Valley fam? Welcome back to the show. One thing that I love about cybersecurity is the people in the field are so dynamic. They wear many hats and many titles. I'm speaking from experience. I'm excited to introduce my guest who has many titles because his work is legendary. My guest this episode is Philip Wiley. Philip is a penetration tester, instructor, international speaker, host of not one, but two podcasts, one being The Philip Wiley Show, be sure to check that out, and best-selling author of an awesome book that I have in front of me, The Pen Tester Blueprint. Outside of all those titles, Philip is someone who we would consider Hacker Valley family because he's been on the show, and most importantly, Philip, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Ron. It's an honor to join and, and happy to, to get to be on the show again. It was a lot of fun during Black Hat. And I'm a really big fan of what you and Chris are doing with Hacker Valley. Yes, thank you. Thank you for being back on. And for anyone that hasn't watched that episode, be sure to check out the show notes or description wherever you're tuning in. And be sure to check that out because we didn't know before that podcast that Philip actually has a background in wrestling. Uh, but we will save that for that episode because I have some more exciting things to talk about. And it's the things that excite you. You know, we I know that there's three areas that you absolutely love pen testing uh content creation and also speaking so we could start anywhere where should we go first pen testing speaking or content <laughs> sure i guess really kind of start with pen testing because that's that's what started it all is pen testing learning you know from my pen testing experience i taught i spoke at conferences and it uh, encouraged me to create content okay let's start there pen testing one of the things that a lot of people know about you as a pen tester is your ability to train people. Uh, I've always looked at trainers as people that have this special skill that isn't necessarily always ingrained in them, but a lot of the times great trainers, they learn how to do it. What was your immersion into pen testing? And also does that, did that immersion help you with training or was training something that you always had within you? No, what it, what helped me was because, you know, when I was getting into pen testing, I had like an AppSec background, network security background, sysadmin, but it was one of the most difficult jobs I've ever had to learn. Learning the hacking piece was very difficult for me. And so just kind of understanding and realizing it was difficult made me see the need to try to, to simplify it more because some of the content out there, especially for people that are brand new, because when I got into pen testing uh, in 2012, I got my first pen testing role. 
And when I got into it, my background, I didn't have the hacking experience, but I need to gain the hacking experience. And so back then you had the OSCP. So that's what I went after because I knew I could learn how to hack the OSCP. The options were more limited. And the thing about content then compared to now was it was geared towards people that had an IT background, a security background. So they didn't really make it friendly towards people with no background at all. So you would need some kind of experience. So there's opportunities out there now uh, that you can learn that you can learn from a total beginner. Maybe you don't have that background. So that's some of the things where it's evolved. And I've seen the need for that because uh, teaching at Dallas college, when I was teaching pen testing, web app pen testing there, I would have students come into the class that had even no IT background. One young woman that took the class, my very first class came in. This was the first class she took at the college. She hadn't taken any Linux <laughs> classes, no windows classes. This was the very first one, but I was in, was really intent on helping her be successful and get through it. So I shared some other resources and stuff. So I've always really tried to break it down and make it more understandable. Even with my presentations, if you kind of explain something a little bit more then there's going to be less questions and people understand like a, a good example is in a PowerPoint presentation. If you've got FTP in there, some people know it's file trans transport protocol, mm -hmm. but maybe some people don't. So if you show what those acronyms mean and kind of spell it out and make it easier to digest that way people are not trying to figure out they're not on their phones trying to look up these different acronyms but break it down and make it understandable in uh terms that are understandable to someone outside of that area or very limited uh, experience in that area where were you when you first learned about pen testing like what was going on in your life and what were some of the things that drew you in so when i first found out about pen testing was during my uh security career because i started out doing network security and I found Ed Scotus's book, Hack and Counterhack. So it had like a little CD on there with some like vulnerable targets and playing around with that. That's where I got introduced to that, the hacking exposed books. But one of the mm -hmm. things that really didn't click at the time that these were actually jobs that people were doing, that pen tester roles were out there. Uh, when I moved into AppSec at the company I was working for, I managed our third party pen test. We had a consulting company doing our pen testing. So I found out that was an actual role. And so when I got laid off from my job in 2012, I applied for a role with a consulting company as a pen tester. So that's kind of where I found out. I mean, I, at one point I realized that you could get paid to hack, but I think one of the things we have to say too, it's a fun and exciting job, but for those that are exploring it, make sure you explore thoroughly and look at the good and the bad because you're writing reports. Sometimes the hours are crazy and it's not the spy looking stuff that you, you see on TV and stuff. It's a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> Pen testing was one of the first things that excited me because, like you said, you could get paid to break into devices. And I also, at the time, I, I got I learned about pen testing around 2012 as well. And I didn't know how much they were making even back then. I think today there's still a lot of opportunity and money to be had as a pen tester. I'm sure you've hired pen test uh, pen test engineers and and people that came from AppSec that transitioned to pen testing. What is the the average salary for someone that is looking to get into that type of uh, work? Kind of in my area, like the the Dallas area, you know, this could vary East Coast and West Coast, but typically like entry level. So like you're, you're coming in without any experience, uh, typically like around 60,000, but could be even more than that. So 60,000 is a good starting point once you've got two to three years worth of experience, then you can get start getting closer to the six figures. Yeah, I know some uh, pen testers who have cleared well over 250,000 and, you know, people that are in the the bug bounty uh, industry and playing in that type of world. 
can kind of swim in both lanes. I think that the the skills really build upon each other. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. Bug bounty. There's so much you can learn from that. And that's kind of, I kind of followed it to learn new tricks for web app pen testing. Cause that's kind of how I found out about Jason Haddock's. And I was a bug crowd ambassador for a while. And part of that was to teach my students about bug bounty. Cause you know, this is an opportunity to gain access to, you know, pen testing in a live production environment, getting real world experience while hack the box, try hack me and CTFs are good experience. But when you can get actual professional experience, the better it is for you to move on from like a bug bounty role into pen testing. So let's talk about conferences a little bit. I see you in person the most at conferences. I just saw you at HughesetCon recently. We ran into each other. Um, and when I think back to my first conferences, I remember this feeling of feeling a little lonely and lost because I didn't have a, a big network and people that I could meet and just go up to like yourself and say, hey, what's up, Philip? So I didn't know how to you know be in the conference game, but ultimately I learned about LobbyCon and I've really clung to that for really every conference that I go to. I try to just hang out right at the doorway so I can catch people as they walk in and just say hello, whether I know them or not. What has been one of those memorable experiences for you uh, throughout your career going to conferences? Yeah, there's there's a lot of good experiences. A lot of those are people that I meet from because they found out about my book or my podcast and these things that help them. But kind of one of my coolest moments was last year during RSA. So Jen Easterly and I were connecting on Twitter. And then later on, she connected with me on LinkedIn before the conference. And so we met in person because I came by to see you guys. Yep. And she just so happened to be there at RSA and it was just really cool that she knew who I was and she thanked me for all that I did in the industry. So that was a really cool moment to be acknowledged by someone like that. Wow. that That's amazing. It's hard to get some of her time. I know that from experience, but mm-hmm. it's awesome that she's spending the time to at least, you know, be aware of Philip. But one thing that I love about uh, Jenny Sirley and CISA is that it seems like they are plugged in everywhere now. And I think that's exactly what People have always believed that the government should be doing anyways, being plugged into mm-hmm. what can harm the people and the citizens and the business of this great country. And I think one of the things I love about CISA is they're so approachable. Some people are kind of, you know, they don't know how to take, you know, FBI, or NSA and those types. But people are just the people they have in CISA are very approachable. They're wanting to help people. Mm-hmm. I think they're doing doing a great mission there because they're kind of encouraging people to get into cyber and and just being so approachable like that, that's great. I got to meet some people from CISA actually at Rice's Con recently and just kind of cool to see them there uh, involved in the community. And, you know, even, you know, all, you know, all, you know you, of course, you know, you see an RSA Black Hat representation, but to see some of these smaller conferences, it's really great to see them supporting them. So we can't just talk about conferences without speaking yeah. about your speaking background. I feel like Every conference that I've been at, that I've seen you at, you also are speaking at. How do you have the time to speak at all these conferences? And like, what motivates you to go to so many conferences and spread the word about pen testing and the things that you love? Yeah, one of one of my core uh, missions is to help others. So be able to share that information. And at one time, it was just helping people that are new. But one of the things I've kind of you know figured out over the past couple of years is a lot of people don't understand pen testing and offensive security. So that needs to be evangelized and get out there. So that's one of the the driving things is to educate and share with other people. So it's interesting how I got started speaking was they had our call for papers at B-Size Dallas-Fort Worth in 2013. And one of the people that, that 
coordinator of that conference was encouraging people to submit CFPs and said the best job they got of their career was through public speaking because they spoke mm. at conferences. Like the next week I went and signed up for Toastmasters because I was terrified to speak in person. You know, normally in the past it'd be hard to even do something like this, but I went to Toastmasters started there towards the end of 2013, did my first conference talk like June or July of 2015. And part of it was I wanted to do more speaking, but I was trying to figure out what to speak on. And when I came out with my pen tester blueprint talk and kind of found the need to educate people on pen testing, I started speaking a lot more. And so by the time, uh, the next two conferences I have next week, once I complete those two since 2015 until the end of the month, that'll make 117, uh, conference talks that I've given. And this mm. doesn't include, uh, webinars or, you know, some of oh, these other just events. in person. That's just, some of it's virtual, like during okay. the pandemic, yeah. but it's, this is not including speaking at these different, different clubs like ISSA chapters and that stuff. That's not including that. Gotcha. Psh, busy man. But one of the things I found is all that practice you get from the speaking really helps with your speaking. Yes. And overcome the fear of speaking. I've heard a lot about Toastmasters. Um, I think Chris was actually part of Toastmasters for a while. And I've heard that it does. It's very transformative. What is the most transformative aspect about at least your experience with working with Toastmasters? Well, they really helped refine my speaking because I still will say um and use different filler words, but they make you conscious of that. Getting to see good speakers and how it's done is helpful. But probably the thing that helped me the most is we did videos of our presentations and the presentations are very short. It's funny when you're new and you're scared and that five or seven minutes seems like a long time yeah. and then you get used to it and you can speak for an hour and it's not that big of a deal. But what helped me the most is looking at those videos because I felt terrified and I looked at it and thought, wow, I didn't look nervous in the people that I would Toastmasters with. Yeah, you didn't look nervous at all. You did a good job. So it's kind of coping with lack of confidence and imposter syndrome that you really don't feel like you can do it or you're, you're good. And just getting that validation, you know, seeing the video thought, wow, I didn't look nervous. So if I'm nervous, that's okay. If it doesn't show. And yeah. so I just kind of, that was one of the biggest things for me is just showing me that uh, people couldn't tell that I was nervous when I was speaking. Do you live at the nexus of creativity and cyber? Do you want to? My name is Chris Cochran. I am a cybersecurity leader and content creator, and I've been fortunate enough to create some award-winning podcasts, web series, and more. Hacker Valley has created a brand new event with Cyber Marketing Society called Cyber Creator Con, focused on content creation in the ever-evolving world of cybersecurity. And it's all going down December 11th, 2023 at the Marriott Downtown in Austin as a part of the bigger Cyber Marketing Con. You're going to hear from folks like Merrill Vernon, Danny Wolf, Dr. Chase Cunningham, Cybersecurity Girl, and yours truly. During this one-day free event, you're going to learn the business of creating in cybersecurity. How do you make content and even how do you leverage social media for personal branding? Be sure to head on over to hackervalley.com forward slash cybercreatorcon and we'll see you there. The other piece of speaking is the creation of your speech like or your presentation, however your mode is. Um, with that, I, to me, that's the most difficult part. I'm very critical of the the ideas that I have, but when I speak, I feel very confident and comfortable. But you know, speaking is both sides. You have to create the the presentation and, and then deliver it. When you look at the content creation side, what has been the easiest part for you, and what's been like the harder parts? 
I don't know, coming up with topics and delivering it, I guess delivering it's the easiest part, but sometimes, because most of my subjects are usually somewhat similar because uh, I did a talk on building effective attack service management programs. And this, some of this entails pen testing as part of it, just sharing some of the experiences I've seen throughout pen testing and ways to optimize people's vulnerability management programs. So it's pulling from what I'm doing at the time when I was at some other companies and with their software, I found ways that it would fit in, you know, I would look at it and see how it could complement offensive security, how it fit into that area. So a lot of it's just finding topics around offensive security. And that's mainly what I, what I speak to. Although I did do a, a talk at my DEF CON group meeting back a couple months ago on brand personal branding and content creation, because I really mm-hmm. feel like this is a really good area for people to build their brand and help them job wise, because we're in a great time for that. You see some people that their careers have come out of content creation. A good example is Heath Adams, a cyber mentor. You know, yeah. he started creating video to teach himself. He created this courses. Now he's, you know, he's doing Udemy. He's got his own platform now. And then he built this into, you know, doing pen testing for other people and to starting his own consulting company, but just seeing what people can do as content creators, uh, Serena that works for black Hills information security group. Mm-hmm. You know, she did a lot of, uh, network tutorials and stuff on TikTok, teaching people network networking. Cause you worked at Cisco. They got into doing some hacking related security related stuff. Black Hills saw the need in this uh, understanding the influencer marketing thing. And that's part of the reason they, they brought her over. So she's like doing pen test pen testing and content creation, because as you know, uh, social media marketing is some of the cheapest marketing, because if you got people with a decent following, you're not having to pay anything. You're just creating the content posting out there. You're not paying some ad agency, you know, 50,000, hundred thousand dollars for, for one ad or something. Yeah. I remember years ago, like back in the 2012, maybe like the 20, even 17, 18, many companies didn't necessarily appreciate their, employees having a big uh, profile online, like having many thousands and thousands of followers. I thought at some points it seemed like it was a liability. Many people on Twitter had uh, all of my thoughts and opinions are of my own. I thought, you know, that's always been a little excessive to me, but I agree. Like if you have influencers at your company, then that is a great opportunity. Even if they don't work in the same line of work that your company does work in. Like if you have someone that is a epic marketer, but you have a cybersecurity company, that influence still carries over to value that people are going to find your company. They might remark about it or at least mention that keepers of influence and say, hey, they work at uh, Hacker Valley Media, for example. Yeah, I agree. And one of the things that one of the companies I worked at within 90 days, I was able to get them more Twitter followers, more LinkedIn followers, more visit visits to the booths at conferences and stuff. And and that's really where I got to see the power of it. And a lot of the thing, a lot of what I leverage when I'm going to work for companies, is I want that evangelist piece to my mm-hmm. role, because one of the things I can bring to the company is my following, you know, from the cybersecurity community, as well as the different social media platforms. Exactly. Yes. And your following is massive. I saw that you have around 44,000 going on 50,000 followers on LinkedIn that's just on LinkedIn alone. And you have mm-hmm. shows, books and all of that. So the content is definitely, you know, reaching all the right people. And I think one thing that I've always, you know, one thing that I've always seen about your work and I've seen other people remark about it is how you take a complicated topic and make it simple. 
Is this something that you developed through Toastmasters? How did you get that skill set? And how do I also get that for myself? <laughs> so some of it really, when I think about it, to go back further, back to my sysadmin days, I managed a lot of, well, didn't manage, but I was a team lead at one point and then a senior on the team. So there are a lot of people coming into the group that didn't have experience teaching them how to do things. And then from my time at Dallas College, because I had people coming in that, that this was maybe their first technical class and explaining how to do that. I've had people that didn't understand social media and teach them. Uh, when I was at Toastmasters, actually, I did some training. They run Toastmasters University mm. like twice a year. That's training people that are new officers in Toastmasters or people just coming into Toastmasters. And I did a thing on using Meetup and social media to market your 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 team, your groups. And so that, were, were, that was where that kind of came from. And just teaching people in general even before I got to teaching, teaching how to use different tools and different platforms and social media and stuff like that. So I really just try to make it easy to understand because the easier you break it down, the less questions, the more you explain something in depth, the less questions you're going to have. And you want people to understand that, and absorb it. You know, you can always go back and answer questions, but that's, I think that's a better way for them to learn. And also you just kind of get used to that teaching method. Mm-hmm. And it, and I'm trying to think, I think it's Robert Feynman that they said that the best way to teach people is teach people like they're at a fifth grade level. And so to, to take that on, not to insult people, but make sure you're not talking overly complicated when you're, you're giving these presentations, because a lot of cases you've got someone coming in that's either new to the industry, you know, maybe there's someone in management trying to learn more about this, but the better experience you can give them learning, uh, you know, the better it is for the the learner. Hey, and fifth graders are smart. I remember that show. Yeah. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? It's fifth grader, yeah. <laughs> so a lot of the times on places like LinkedIn, on podcasts, I hear if you want to make an impact in cybersecurity, you need to speak the language of the business. And I think part of speaking the language of the business is being able to translate information to someone that could be on a fifth grade level to that uh, topic. So I thought it would, would only be right if I brought three questions for you that you could break down and speak back to me in the audience as if we were all fifth graders. How's that sound? Sounds good. <laughs> all right. The first one, easy, because it's your background. What is pen testing? So pen testing is the short uh, form of penetration tester. So it's almost kind of self-explanatory. You're testing for penetrations. Are you able to penetrate this target, gain access to it? So really kind of, to, kind of a good way to simplify it is you're taking a malicious hacker or threat actor approach to assessing the security of a target because we can run vulnerability scanners. And while that's only going to find some surface uh, vulnerabilities and sometimes they're not always exploitable, but we really need to know what happens past the exploit. So another way to look at this is what are we protecting our environments from? Most cases, people are thinking about malicious hackers. So you need to think like them when you're assessing the security so you can find any of the holes that they would find to be able to, to reveal those in, uh, you know, have those remediated. Well done. Well done. Let's keep it going. Okay. The next <laughs> one is injection. What is injection? So injection is a type of vulnerability where you're injecting code or inserting code in like SQL injection is one of my favorites. Cause one of my favorite pen tests one time from the internet, I was able to get uh, command line access through a SQL injection vulnerability. So injection could be any kind. There's all sorts of types of uh, injection out there, SQL injection for your databases, XML injection, mm -hmm. HTTP, HTML injection. 
So injecting that onto the page, in some cases, it's like if you could, uh, someone could inject HTML into a page and add possible uh, options in there. You could put a malicious link in there because sometimes when people see, you know, even though cross-site scripting uh, is kind of different classification and actually OWASP, I guess, classified all their injections as a, a single type instead of breaking it down. Yep. But there's all sorts of things you can inject into that target. And some people can see things and think they're actual links because a lot of times when people think about cross-site scripting, you think about a pop-up on the screen, but sometimes it's injecting HTML in a page. Maybe mm -hmm. you could put a link that's going to drive someone to a malicious site. Great. We got one more. This one is thrown out a lot. I think a lot of people in cyber know this one, but they never had to explain it. And even people outside of cyber are starting to hear this more and more with all the breaches. The last question that we should simplify is what is a CVE? So it stands for Common Vulnerability Exposures. And so you hear these CVE numbers. There's databases that keep track of these, these CVEs. So it's basically a vulnerability. The CVE is a record of that vulnerability. And so someone that's getting into wanting to get into pen testing, this is something I recommend even over certification because a lot of pen testers don't have CVEs. I don't have any CVEs to my name, but an interesting social media post a while back that Joe Helley, the mayor that works for TCM security was playing around with uh, some web apps that he actually downloaded free and open source uh, applications and pen tested those in his home environment and found these vulnerabilities and reported them. So when you report to these different authorities that keep track of these CVEs, they will actually put the information in your name on there. So you can actually put this on your LinkedIn profile or your resume with links to those CVEs. So you can actually prove that you're one, one that found it. So basically these are databases. The CVE itself is the record and they're stored in these databases by these different vendors. Sometimes it's the individual vendors themselves or sometimes like MITRE and some other resources that these CVEs are stored. I love CVEs. Uh, when I first got started in my content journey, I was doing YouTube videos on how to write exploits. And through just reading about CVEs and then cracking open the databases and then looking at the description and also the packages that are vulnerable, a lot of the times you can go to somewhere like GitHub, find the previous commits, and then see how did this person patch it? You can look for that same line of code. Maybe that same line of code is used in other uh, applications. You could take that line of code, search across GitHub to see if it matches anywhere else. And then you got you might have another zero day mm -hmm. in a different application because of that relationship and how the code was built. Yeah, some people are even using Internet Archive, the way back Internet Time Machine to go back and find the older code to compare it to newer, newer code. <laughs> That's smart. That's really smart. Yeah, bug bounty people come up with some really clever stuff. So, you know, we spoke about speaking, content, pen testing. I know that, you know, we I, I started out by saying that a lot of people in cybersecurity are multi-dimension. What is the the next thing that you're looking forward to jumping into in the cybersecurity realm? Yeah, for me, I was kind of kind of wanting to. I've been doing the training and stuff, but some of the things I've been encouraged by others to do, and actually Vivek Ramachandran, the founder of Pentester Academy, we met mm -hmm. for for lunch during uh, Hack in the Box Singapore last year, and he was telling me that I should do paid training. So that's something something I've considered. I've done a lot of free workshops and stuff, and and I still do things that give the community, but I've just give, been having a hard time to convince myself. Yeah, you can make money too, and you can still offer free and low cost stuff. So that's kind of one of the areas I'm looking to to journey into. 
Love that. Well, whenever you do, you have your first customer in me. I would love to get some pen testing training from you. And on that note, there's definitely many people listening to this right now that are in cybersecurity, but want to be a little bit more creative. You've done many creative things throughout your career. What would be your one piece of advice to them to kind of introduce creativity into their world of cybersecurity? For one thing is find the platform that that maybe just getting started, finding which one uh, appeals to you or whichever one comes more easy. So if you're a writer, you know, some people are terrified when they think to be doing what we're doing now on video. If that's not your thing, you can do screen captures of your, your desktop. Uh, you can write, you can do audio only. So I would say find an area. I mean, this is even uh, creating you know, like a GitHub account and different content there. Uh, another thing that that's really amazing on how well it helps people build a following is sharing content, stuff that other people mm -hmm. Other tools because uh, there's a couple people, uh, Gabrielle B on on LinkedIn. It's amazing how she's grown her LinkedIn following, and basically she shares different pen testing tools, and she's like probably quadrupled her following in probably a year or so. I mean, just and basically she's sharing content. So sometimes that's the way people do it: just sharing content. You can do write blogs. If you're doing try hack me hack the box and these other things or CTFs, you can do write ups on that. So there's only so many different other ways of content creation. Sometimes people forget about the written part. They only think about video or even podcasts, but you know, you've got the written form. Some people that works better for. Yep. Absolutely. That's a great recommendation. Find what works for you and then give it a shot. I think there's so there's a lot of magic that can be had with content and just stepping out of the, the box of comfort in your cybersecurity career. Uh, Philip, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for jumping on the mic with B, spending some time catching back up on the Hacker Valley Studio podcast. For anyone that wants to stay up to date with Philip and also buy his book, The Pen Tester Blueprint, be sure to check out the description below. And with that, we will see everyone next time.